Blind Jesus Freak Podcast, a podcast that focuses on living a Christ-centered life with a visual impairment. Even if you don't have a visual impairment, stick around. You might just be blessed by how the blind look at God's Word. Yeah, the pun is totally intended. And now, here's your host. Hello and welcome to this evening's podcast. I'm very glad to be here this evening to speak to you. Mike is under the weather this week and hopes to be back with all of you next week. I have a topic to bring to you tonight, which I hope will be of interest. And what I would like to talk about is a missions trip I took to Togo, West Africa. And I really like kind of having points to discuss Part of that is because I like to talk and I don't necessarily mean to, but I also ramble. And so they keep me on track. So I wanted to talk about the ABCs of my trip to Africa. And the A stands for all things work together for good. And initially it really didn't seem like it. I went to Bible college and studied to be a missionary and was very excited about one of the requirements of my studies, which meant that I would be going on a missionary apprenticeship program in the summers between my junior and senior years of college. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go. And people said to me quite a lot, I think you'd be good at working with blind people. And I guess I should have felt complimented by that. But what I felt was irritated. I felt like they were saying, essentially, well, we don't think you can do anything else And this is at least safe. And one of my professors, who was my academic advisor, and he was also head of the missions department, was a very wise man. And he said, I think you should consider this. He said, there is a school in Togo, West Africa. It's a school for the blind. And they could use someone to teach music and He said, you know, you're going to have enough difficulties with the language and the culture and everything being different. He said, at least you wouldn't have to convince people of your capabilities. It would kind of be putting you on the same even ground that our other students have. So I grudgingly said, okay, I will do this. I can do this. And... I went, and I got there, and uh, I got to the capital city of Togo at about 9 o'clock at night, and it was close to 90 degrees, and uh, everything was very different. I stayed in a home with a missionary family until the next day when the people with whom I would be staying for the rest of my time came to pick me up. And they did, and we got to their home about two hours away that evening. 
So that was the first full day I was there. The following day, I forget what they were going to do, but they had some kind of long-standing trip that they had to make. And I was going to be spending some time with another missionary couple. I believe it was their son and daughter-in-law, or it could have been their daughter and son-in-law. I'm sorry to say I don't remember for certain, but I spent some time with them and I learned about the culture and the customs and the woman who was giving me this instruction seemed very preoccupied and I could tell that her heart wasn't really into it at all. And they had gotten word to her somehow. The couple with whom I was staying, the husband had a heart attack and they were able to get him to the hospital, which was run by missionaries. But they were unable to save him and he died. And of course, I felt so sorry for them. But I also felt this sense of unreality. You know, what am I going to do next? Why am I here? I am here at the most inconvenient place at the most inconvenient time. And obviously, I won't be staying here because the family will be coming. And they did come from all parts of the U.S. and from Africa. And uh, so I went to stay with some missionary nurses in a hospital and ended up folding lots of bandages and talking to the staff who worked there. Got to see twins born, who when I got to see them, they were probably about a minute old. They were born in the middle of the night, and... We knew they were being born because the, quote, alarm went off. That was the generator turning on in the middle of the night. I guess one of the nurses was on call. The rest were in bed, but the generator coming on meant that there was some sort of situation, and that roused us all, of course. As it happened, after about two weeks, I went back to the home where I was living with the missionary couple just one night before his death, and I stayed with his widow for the remainder of my trip. And she said to me, you know, I really think that God had you here for a special purpose. She said, you know, that nothing would replace her husband and that his loss was so keenly felt, but that her family was around her. And then after her family left, I was there to help ease the transition so that she was not completely alone. So it was a very different kind of experience for me. But even in that, I saw how God worked. And there were so many odd things and customs. I jokingly tell people that my first night in Africa... I just about fell into the tub, but it's true because they have these large bathrooms. Now, the missionary houses are different than many of the houses where the local people live. Sadly, those are often 
very tiny, and I'm amazed at how happy the children are, even though they had so little. The missionary houses were apparently in what was considered a European or French style, but the houses were all concrete, so you wouldn't find things like wall-to-wall carpeting. There were a lot of echoes. It was uh, an amazing place to listen to any kind of music. Electricity was iffy depending on where you were, and some things worked and some things didn't, and some things worked at certain times of day. That was one interesting thing about living in different homes. I learned that there wasn't the same kind of uniformity that we take for granted here. You had to make sure that the water that you drank was purified. There was no such thing as just getting it out of the spigot. In the one home, they had a microwave. And if you made the mistake of forgetting and walking up to it and touching it, and you were wearing no shoes or slippers or anything on your feet, you would definitely have an electrifying experience because it wasn't grounded. But the bathrooms were, as a rule, very large. And the shower was this open area. And instead of having a curtain, you stepped down into the shower. But not knowing that, I very nearly fell into it. And the missionary lady remembered all of a sudden that I would not be used to that kind of setup and uh, let me know probably a second or two ahead of the disaster. So the A, as I said, is all things work together for good. B is baggage, and there was lots of it. There was baggage in the sense of I could bring this much luggage and it could weigh this much. I don't remember those particular restrictions now. I should add, this was back in 1989. I do know that I could take more into the country than I could take out with me. The missionaries asked for things like magazines and, you know, Reader's Digest, things like that. Cake mixes, towels, I don't remember what all, but... I packed some things like that, and there was a woman whose daughter was there as a short-term missionary, and I took some things to her. But more important than that kind of baggage, there is personal baggage. And what I mean by that is I really was wearing very thick, very heavy-duty rose-colored glasses. I thought, okay, I'm going on this missionary trip. I should be like Mary Poppins. I should be practically perfect in every way. And when I had doubts or misgivings or felt like I didn't belong, that was really hard. And especially when I was folding bandages in the hospital, I had so much time just to think. You know, now we have the iPods and the iPhones and the book players, and you can kind of always have something in your ears. You can always be reading something, doing something. That wasn't the case, and I had a lot of time to just be with my thoughts and with myself, and that was hard because God didn't change me. He just allowed me to go to a new location. He certainly sustained me, 
but my same faults and failings came with me. And I found that that was true of some of the missionaries that I encountered, and I encountered quite a few. There were some situations where, for example, the husband would be very committed to being there, and the wife would not be as much, or maybe the wife was very committed and the husband almost seemed to disdain the people that they were there to work with and work alongside of. And, you know, missionaries who got short-tempered with their children and, you know, wow, newsflash, missionary kids aren't perfect either. Although I met a lot of really amazing, uh, very kind missionaries and missionary families. But it reminded me really that we are human wherever we go. And initially, as depressing as I found that to be, the good news is that the grace of God is also the grace of God wherever we go. And the C is just one word. And that word is childlike. And that really involves and includes so many things. I was so uptight and so concerned about doing it right and making a good impression. And now when I look back on that time, I wish I had relaxed. I wish I had tried to say more of the unfamiliar words, even if I sounded silly. I wish I had tried copying the children's songs, even though I probably would have sounded silly. Because when I was there, the people were very, um, they were childlike in some ways, but they were also very transparent. If they were pleased by something, you knew it. And you hear this with women more. They'll say, oh, that's great. And their voices go up. And the men would do the same thing. And they would almost go into this falsetto range when they were pleased. And the first time I heard somebody do that, I thought, maybe he's not all there or something. But that's just the way it was done. One night in church, they basically said, we're going to have four men, four of our leaders sing a song. And I thought, wow, this will be really interesting. I wonder what they'll sing. And it was in their language. This was kind of uh, translated to me on the side by the missionary. Of course, the sermons and such couldn't be done, but depending on what was happening or what was coming, they'd kind of just say something quietly. So I was really anxious to know what this song was going to be. And they got up there And I'm sure my expression was something to be seen because they sang what I would consider the children's, the Sunday school song, the wise man built his house upon the rock. You know, the one that starts, the foolish man built his house upon the sand. The rains came down and the floods came up, but the house on the sand went flat and the house on the rock stood firm. And so they sang this song and I thought, wow, that's kind of a simple thing to sing. And then I thought, well, how profound, because when I was there, I was there during their rainy season, and it's like nothing I've ever experienced over here. Basically, you'd wake up, and it would be sunny, 
and humid, pretty much always humid, pretty much always hot. Uh, it was about 112 degrees in the shade. And then around two or three in the afternoon, it would start to rain and it would pour for about 15 minutes or half an hour. And the rain came down so hard that the school where I was, there were metal roofs and you pretty much couldn't do anything during that time because you couldn't hear. And there was some flooding. As a matter of fact, one of the little girls who lived about three miles away was swept away by the river and drowned. So this song, though simple, had relevance to their lives. And someone who didn't know could think, well, you know, they're just simple native people, you know, that's probably just their speed. Not exactly. One disadvantage I feel that we have is America is so big. We have one language and that's it. These people could often speak five and six languages. I was kind of embarrassed when a boy, he was about 11, he said to me, what do you speak besides English? And I said, nothing. I said, very little French, but mostly English. And he said, just English? And <laughs> that was kind of embarrassing. So I wouldn't mistake their sense of childlikeness for lack of intelligence. People ask a lot of questions related to my blindness and my trip. When I went, I flew from New York to, I think I went the same way both ways. I think I went to Holland and then to Africa. And I think I had another smaller flight from Africa. Like I said, it was a long time ago now. The important stuff, so to speak, stands out in my mind like it was yesterday. Important stuff like the time that I thought there was a bat in my room because it sounded enormous and apparently it was some sort of winged locust. The time that I had a local favorite drink for breakfast and it was tomato juice with enough kick to it to cause a grown man to cry in agony. Uh, lots of memorable things like that, but some of the less important or the more humdrum details, I really don't remember. But for the most part, my blindness was not really an issue. I did have a person meet me in the airport and assist me getting to the correct gate. I did have layovers, but I really didn't need much of anything, and I loved hearing all the languages and hearing people go by. Lots of people at that time anyway were still wearing wooden shoes. I had a very funny thing happen on the returning flight. I had gotten, I don't know what I got. I got something local and it didn't like me. I don't know if it was water that was not purified or something that wasn't washed in purified water. I mean, for example, if you went to a restaurant, you needed to order a bottle of soda or a bottle of water. You didn't drink from the glasses because the ice was traditionally made from unpurified water. Anyway, some bug bit me, and uh, 
that was not pleasant. So I was still feeling the effects of that. And uh, my flight was late. It left around 10 o'clock at night. And they served us a meal, and I thought, well, it's a 22-hour flight from start to finish. I don't know when I'll eat again, and so I was eating some. And the man in the seat next to me said, may I help you? And I said, no, thank you, I'm fine. Well, five minutes later, he asked me again, and I said, no, really, I'm fine. And I could tell by his accent that he was from somewhere in Africa. And he asked me again, and I thought, okay, I don't know where this person comes from. I don't know what his customs are like. And I'm not sure what he wants. If he wants to tell me where the food is, if he feels like the pieces are too large and he needs to cut it, or what. But when he asked the third time, I said, sure, that would be fine. And he said words I will never forget. He said, open your mouth, please. Uh, apparently his intent was to feed me. And I said, oh, no, thank you. I don't need help with that. I'm fine. And I explained that I had been a little sick. I just, there was no way. But I found that for the most part, people were fairly accepting of my blindness. I think some of it was because in the place where I stayed most of the time, that's called Palime. It was a little city uh, with an unusual spelling. It was K-P-A-L-I-M-E. People were familiar with the School for the Blind. But when I stayed with the other missionaries, I think they were just decent, down-to-earth people who had seen quite a lot and took things in stride. The children at the School for the Blind seem to have ranged in age from about five or six to about 20. And some of them went to what they called university, which was college, and they received further education. Some went back to their small villages and were set up often by family, with small businesses that they could do, often manufacturing or selling things. And often the staff from the school or the missionaries would work with the families to help them understand the capabilities of the individuals. And they really tried to vary it depending on the students' aptitudes and interests. It wasn't just a one-size-fits-everybody kind of thing. I did teach music. They had a piano at the school, and no one played it because no one really knew how. I wasn't there long enough that I felt I could make good inroads by teaching students Braille music. So I tried primarily to teach them to play by ear. And some picked up on that better than others. But it was very gratifying because by the end, those who had picked up on it and who had excelled were helping those who had not. And by helping the others, their own skills were increasing. I found the music there 
Very interesting. I had a tape that I made at the time, admittedly not a high quality tape, but unfortunately that was lost when my things flooded. But I want to share with you some snapshots, so to speak, uh, things that you would have heard. One of the songs that I got was a group of four kindergartners singing a song in French. With soap, I wash my hands, my arms, my face. I wash all of me, but only Jesus can get my heart clean. Another song was sung by the school. Pretty much everyone sang. And this was very funny because I would love to play this for people and say, can you tell what language it's in? And it was in English, but people often didn't know that or they didn't realize it right away. I also really enjoyed the African songs. They were very unique and very complex. The rhythm would change partway through the song, or you would have one part or maybe all three out of the four parts singing a particular song, a particular melody. And a fourth part would come in with a descant or some such that had a completely different rhythm, which would eventually dominate and the song would switch to that rhythm. Or they would stop and just switch into that completely different rhythm. It was fascinating. I talked a little bit ago about the men also speaking in falsetto when they were pleased, and I heard a bit of that when the music would start. Now, I did some looking on YouTube, and I only found one thing that was remotely like the music that I heard. Now, this is fairly traditional rhythm, fairly traditional harmony, but it will give you a general idea. They usually sang in three or four parts. At the school where I was and at the church, they often sang without instrumentation. It was the rule, not the exception. In the little bit that I have to play for you from YouTube, there is some percussion, which is not at all what I heard when I was there, but the close harmony is similar. But what I've not heard anywhere else is the song leader, who is always a man or a boy, in the song where I had a recording of the four kindergartners singing, it was three little girls and one little boy, and the little boy started the song. But when they do this, they sing the first few notes of the soprano melody in falsetto. And then they say trois, quatre, three, four. And then they start. So this seems to be traditionally how that is done. I heard it done at the church where most of the choir was cited. I heard it done at the blind school. And uh, often what they will do too is they'll sing the first few notes of the melody and then they will go down the harmony line. So they'll sing the first few notes of the soprano part followed by the alto, the tenor, and the bass. 
And uh, so it's very fascinating to hear. And I hope you enjoy it. And I apologize for the audio quality. I listened to quite a lot of music and it was the only thing that was remotely close, but the quality is very bad. It makes the recording that I did sound not so horrible by comparison.
people ask me, well, if you studied to be a missionary, and if you went to Africa on this trip, why didn't you become a missionary? I mean, they always say, I'm often say, I'm guessing it was the blindness, right? No, blindness created some difficulty. I mean, orientation was a bit of a challenge. There were rarely sidewalks and things. For me, it was a few things. One, I realized that I would have to go from church to church and get support. And the idea of doing that, especially as a single person, terrified me. I knew that God would give me the strength, but that was one of those things that was kind of naive of me, but I went through all of this without even really thinking, okay, I'm going to have to go to all these different churches and ask people, you know, for their support. Still, I would have been willing, and I believe that God would have made a way. Unfortunately, some medical things came about which made it necessary for me to have regular dependable refrigeration for some meds. And so working in a primitive area would not have been a possibility. Also, even at that stage of the game, and more so now, just being a missionary is not really enough because you can go and you can teach and you can have church services, but if you don't have a skill, some countries will not allow you to come in. And also, the more skills that you can have in a country that is not your own, in a country where life is hard, the better you are. And I realized that I did not have enough skills at the time. I also realized and this is back to my comments about baggage, that people really are the same. Wherever you go, they may look different or sound different or dress different or have different needs, but ultimately they are the same. They are in need of the grace and the love of God, and the hurts may be over different things, But basically, they are the same. And so that is just a bit of what I learned when I was there. I would invite those of you who are listening live, if you have any questions, you are welcome to type them and I will do my best to answer them. Just thinking of other questions that I have been asked, I did not encounter a lion or giraffe or anything like that. A lot of them are in East Africa. I was in West Africa. Togo is near Ghana and Ivory Coast. It is a long, narrow country. And there are two main tribal languages. There is Kabye and Eve, and where I was, Eve was spoken. There were a few monkeys. I think people mostly had them as pets. And I did get to hold one, and it was tiny and very wiry, much more than I thought. Many of the missionaries who were there were originally from the South, and I ate in some of their homes as guests. So I had a lot of really good fried chicken when I was in Africa. But I find that 
in general, they ate a lot of rice dishes and they would have a sauce on them, either a peanut sauce, which was kind of odd. It was kind of peanut buttery, sort of. My favorite was a red, kind of a tomato-y sauce. And if you were eating the way that the African people did, there was very little meat, but they would eat a lot of beans and rice. I mean, I was amazed. And, you know, they were active people. I forget how the discussion came about, but at the school the one day they were eating and the six-year-old had this enormous plate of rice. It had to be about four cups of rice along with the sauce. It was, you know, those Corel Ware plates, those glass kind of shatterproof plates. This thing was so full that to use an expression that's common in my area, you know, it needed sideboards. And, you know, these kids would eat heartily like that because they were so active and they were very friendly. They were not afraid in any way. They had also seen enough lighter skinned people that that was nothing new. I had very light colored hair, kind of long hair at the time. And sometimes the littler kids would like to touch it or to brush it. You know, if there was just recreation, I'd end up feeling like I had about four or five heads because I would have maybe five different sections of hair and each one had had something different done to it. I'm sure it would have made some rather scary pictures, but I enjoyed the time I was there. Communication was a little bit of a challenge, but actually it was quite a lot of a challenge, but we managed somehow. And uh, it was... I don't know. Sometimes it ranged the gamut, either from, wow, I don't understand at all and I'm so frustrated because I wish I understood, or I wish I could communicate better. But when I met those little twins, and they had been taken by C-section, so mom was kind of not very awake at the time, but when I saw them, the next day I went to meet the mother, and all I could do was clasp my hands and I said, oh. We didn't really need language. She knew what I meant. And she kind of like clapped her hands like, oh, we didn't need the words. And that was amazing to me. Anyway, those are some of my memories. They are a bit fragmented. It's hard to sometimes put that into a very logical order and a very neat package. But I had wonderful, memorable experiences. I would certainly not be opposed if I felt the time and the conditions were right to go back or go to a similar place as a short-term missionary. If I did, however, I would certainly want to brush up on some other language and would want to leave some of my inhibitions and my own personal baggage back home in the USA. So thank you for listening. Let's pray and we'll conclude. Thank you, Father. We don't know what you'll do in our lives. We don't know all the plans you have for us, but we know that those plans are to give us a hope and a future. And we love you for that because not only do you give us your grace and your love, but you give us so much more. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given to me to share this evening. And I do pray again that you will heal Mike quickly and bring him back to us next week. Okay, and I would like to thank you for listening. We are a relatively 
small group this evening, but I thank you for coming and invite you to join us in the SAMnet fellowship room where we'll take any prayer requests and uh, we'll then pray. So have a good night, everybody, and God bless. Thank you for checking out the Blind Jesus Freak Podcast, a podcast that focuses on living a Christ-centered life with a visual impairment. Even if you don't have a visual impairment and you made it this far, we see you stuck around. If you learned something, we invite you to add us to your favorite podcasting software and make us a part of your regular biblical studies. You might just be blessed by how the blind look at God's Word. Yes, the pun is totally intended, so stop being politically correct and let's just relate to one another as God's kids. For more information about this ministry, visit us on the web at www.blindjesusfreak.com and learn how easy it is for you to connect with us and a bunch of other Jesus Freaks on your favorite social networks. Remember, everybody's a freak about something. Join us and be a freak about Jesus. After all, he's crazy about you.